Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. Hey everyone, it's Andy, and uh, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I've got an incredibly fascinating guest today. His name is Rafe First. It's funny, his name is spelled R-A-F-E, and because I have a nine-year-old, and because not that long ago he was listening to kids' music, I saw his name, uh, before I knew Rafe, um, I saw the spelling, R-A-F-E, and I pronounced it Rafi. So when he first picked up the phone, when I called him the first time, um, he uh, and he said, Rafe, I, I, first I thought I had the wrong phone number, <laughs> but I obviously didn't. Um, and um, what intrigued me about Rafe, I was introduced to Rafe from, from a, a friend of mine, actually a, a pop, one of my podcast guests, um, recent podcast guests, Um he is a, um, I call him world champion. In my world, he's world champion poker player. Now, he hasn't won the World Series of Poker, but he's won at least one tournament. And he's been a venture capitalist or is a venture capitalist, is an entrepreneur, and um, just has a, a really interesting knowledge of decision-making. When we first started talking about the guests that I typically have on the Whole Life Challenge podcast, you know, I, I mentioned the seven daily habits and expertise in those areas. And he, and he said, what about decision-making? And I thought, huh, decision-making, could that be the eighth habit? Uh, I'm not literally, but, but, you know, underneath all of the seven daily habits are our decisions that we all have to make in our life. And, um, who better than an expert poker player to talk about the decision-making process and the, the weighing of options and the split second, second decisions that in poker you have to make. And, um, and then the parallels to life and lessons learned from poker that apply to life. I mean, it's funny over the course of the podcast, I kept having these aha, wow, may, maybe I do know more about poker than I thought. And maybe there is more about life wrapped up in poker. Um, you know, poker is a little bit like the Petri dish of life that the gym is. I always talk about how the gym is a microcosm of, of life, whether it's relationships or how you approach a workout or how you, um, you know, how you, how you do things in the gym very, very similar to poker. So whether you're a poker player or not, which I'm not, by the way, um, you will gain, um, I, I gain tremendous insight out of this podcast and this conversation with Rafe. Um, not only that, he's, he's led an incredibly colorful life. Um, he, <clears throat> about 10 years ago, he went on a one-year epic adventure with his best friend, to go to see as many sporting events as possible in one year's time all, all over the United States. And uh, we talk about that. Um, uh, we talk about, obviously, we talk about poker. Um, we talk about running and approach the approach to running um, that 
that has worked for me in terms of fitness. And he, he actually, <laughs> he's always kind of held back on, on his desire to go too hard. And, um, I gave him some insight into a, a, my approach that, that he has, uh, he hasn't committed to trying, but, but maybe he will. And, um, it's just a really engaging, he's a really good guy and he, and he shares a lot of insights about venture capital, about investing, about poker. Um, you know, I'm going to stop talking about him and I'm going to let you actually listen for yourself. So, uh, without further ado, here is Rafe first. Rafe, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, Andy, thank you for having me. It's good to, good to have hung out with you this morning, even for, you know, 15, 20 minutes before we, because we've never, just so everyone else, else out there knows, we've never met before. Um, we were connected by um, a previous guest from the podcast, Curtis Estes. And um, I was very intrigued by, I didn't know really anything about Rafe, about you. I, I'm, who am I talking to, them or you? Mm-hmm. Um uh, and t- I went to your podcast and I saw the poker and then I saw your travels with your, with your friend. Um, and I thought, okay, this, this, there's some really good stories we got to talk about. <laughs> <in here. laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> um, and, and not just stories, but, but, but learnings. Like we were, I was telling you a little bit about the whole life challenge and the seven daily habits. And, and you were like, well, what about the eighth habit, the, uh, decision-making habit? Ah. And, um, and, uh, you know, like that I would, see as an I mean as a world-class poker player probably one of the you know probably one of your level areas of ex- at least what I saw immediately was definitely an area of expertise that I have really no experience yeah well I shouldn't say that because you showed me that I do have some experience but yeah. I just don't know it so uh, I was very intrigued to have you on the podcast and talk about this stuff great what should we talk about? <laughs> um, well, you know, I've already given you a little bit of an introduction, um, but I, I just, I'd like to know, and I usually start the podcast out with this, if you're attending a cocktail party or going someplace with your wife um, that you don't know a lot of people and somebody walks up to you and says, hey, so what do you do? Hmm. What, do, you, what do you say? What's the, what's the response? I say, wow, you just asked the toughest of questions because <laughs> <laughs> it really is the hardest question I get asked because I do so many things. Um, I think to most people, I'm an, an entrepreneur, uh, early stage entrepreneur. I love starting uh, companies. Uh, I love ideas. I love turning ideas into reality. I love investing as well. And so I'm an angel investor. And I saw, today I, I call myself a quantitative VC. Cool. Bringing that decision making and, and, and the knowledge and experience from poker into into the venture capital decision making process, right? Um, and I'm just a curious tech geek, and uh, I'm just curious. I like my favorite questions. Why? How How did you get? Uh, I mean, you, you didn't just start being a VC, right? Like you weren't like you have you have a a road that you took. Like you don't major in that in college. So when I was about 13 years old, uh, three things uh, three things happened at once or around the same time. Uh, one is I, I learned to play poker with my friends. The other is I I bought my first computer, an Apple II Plus, I which is those. dating me. Yep, yeah. yep. You can figure out exactly how old I am now. And then uh, I bought my first uh, stock. I Apple, right? You, bu- what, you bought it yourself? Like I, you had I the- bought it. I have a cert- I had the certificate. I wish I still had it, but I had the certificate. Wow. For I don't know how many shares of Apple computer stock. And uh, so 
to me, that represents uh, these common themes and threads that have evolved in my lifetime of investing uh, technology, like creating technology, because I programmed the computer and mm -hmm. was really into that, and uh, and and poker, which I I think that all three activities really share a common core, which is so they're all activities where, at least uh, if you're if you're using the tech in a in a way that you're creating a business, you're an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship, investing, poker are all activities or games of uh, making good financial decisions over a long enough period of time uh, to realize a statistically significant edge. And you're doing this under conditions of extreme uncertainty and risk. Right? Right, it's not a right. known path. Uh, there's in poker there's the uncertainty of the cards you just right. have no idea in in entrepreneurship of course it's all uncertainty right you're creating a world that doesn't exist you're navigating all sorts of complexities and mm -hmm. investing it's the flip side of that coin at least if you're investing uh in, in 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 early stage tech companies but i suppose even if you're investing in the stock market inherent uncertainty right right it seems like with poker <clears throat> the process is sped up quite a bit. Um, yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. And so I think it's a fantastic training ground right, because right. you make a decision and immediately there's a consequence. Right. One of the cool things or things that the poker teaches you really quickly, uh, some people think it's cool and they like poker and some people think it's it, it's just too scary and they run away, which is... That'd be me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, well, maybe not after this conversation, but we'll, we'll see. Well, we'll see. So uh, in life, in poker especially, uh, there's often a difference between the decision you make and the outcome that results, meaning we, we make decisions intending there to be a certain outcome. But in when, when, when there's a lot of uncertainty and risk, as in poker, you can make a good decision and have a bad outcome. Right. That's called getting unlucky. Right. Right, you, you can play make, the odds. You right. You make a, everything yeah. looks right, and then yeah, there's all these, there's, there's there's four quadrants: good decision, good outcome, bad decision, bad outcome. Right. Uh, and so anything can result in those four quadrants. And and your job as a as a poker player or a, a strategic investor is to just make good decisions. And over the long run, the outcomes will take care of themselves. That's called the law of large numbers and statistics. But you've got to have enough. Both long sight, long term vision, and resources to survive the uh, this. Right? Absolutely, the you got to stay in the game. Right, you right. got to stay in the game. So one of the things that you learn in poker is, unless you're only going to play once, uh, you're just going to you're all, you're you're going to continually play. You're going to play throughout your lifetime. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's all one long game. So a lot of times, uh, amateur players get stuck thinking oh i have to i have to win tonight right i'm losing mm -hmm. big i have to chase and you know and, and and risk more than i should and make bad decisions even more importantly make bad decisions in order to hope to get lucky and and end up a winner at the night but if, if that's just an arbit you know the end of the night is an arbitrary distinction the end of the right. game is an arbitrary distinction it's all one long game right 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 so that kind of mindset mentality that it's all one long game don't get too stuck on any one outcome. Get you know, get stuck on your decision making process, or be you know, be methodical about that, and 
and question your decision-making process, but uh, decisions and outcomes are not the same thing. And if you make good decisions over a long enough period of time, the outcomes will result. So you're almost, um, you're definitely process-driven, not result-driven. I mean, yep. are you, because those, yep. those are the things you can control. That's right. You can control your decisions. You can't control the outcomes necessarily. Right, right. It's, it's funny how much in common there is with that in poker, which is something that, you know, I have avoided. I, I didn't avoid all the time. When I, used, when I was in the Marines, uh, we were, I was on board a ship for about nine months uh, in the Persian Gulf. And uh, we used to play poker in the wardroom. Me and the other officers um, would get together. But we play these silly little, you know, I don't really call it real poker because it was nickel-dime quarter. You know, it was like low stakes. Mm -hmm. And that was the only poker that I actually have ever really enjoyed playing because I, I, I would get nervous with, you know, big pots. and. But with nickel-dimes and quarters, it was almost meaningless. Like mm -hmm. it was so little, although the pots did grow, you know. Um, what kept you playing and engaged just hanging out with my friends okay you know like getting together with the buds and um you know anteing up was was a nickel mm -hmm. you know so was, there was never no big stakes yeah. and it, and but if you didn't play with money then it was meaningless yeah. you know poker with no money it doesn't make any sense because yeah. you just gamble just bet it all who cares yeah you know yeah there's there's a sweet spot right the stakes right. can't be too low and they can't be too high right right and so well, you've play played it, it play at your level. You've played at every level. I mean, right. right. Well, I started off nickel dime quarter. Right. Just like everybody else. Right. And I've played too big for my bankroll and gotten whacked. <laughs> <laughs> and I've played too low for my bankroll and gotten bored and gotten whacked. Interesting. Right. So oh. uh, one thing that might so a lot of people, and myself included, enjoy the camaraderie. Right. playing with your friends right. right and there's there's a bit of a difference between playing with your friends and joking around and whatnot uh versus playing in a casino or in, in right. a tournament right. where we don't know the people and it's more just about the you know the game and the money um but i would argue that even in your friendly game there were stakes that were meaningful to you they just weren't financial so hmm. perhaps the pride of winning or beating you know, you're right. a competitive person. Yeah, yeah. So of course. You, you know, you got some juice when you won, and you, right, right. And you beat you the other guy, and, and you, like yeah, and you and you, and you, and you, and you probably you probably ribbed him quite a bit. Well, and right? there and there was always someone at the end of the night, even though none of us are, you know, we might lose at the most, we'd lose twenty bucks. Right. At the, I'm, maybe it was thirty bucks. I don't know. Some of those pots did grow. Yeah. Like a lot when you when you I can't remember some of the games we played, but. Um, uh, there was always someone with that was you know that was that had hurt feelings at the end of the night or like right. was not feeling great at the right. end of the night like it was because a, they lost twenty bucks. No, no, I don't think it's twenty. It's not bucks. that right? right because they put their pride on their line. Yeah, and that was stakes enough. Right, right. Huh. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was going to say before it's it's interesting the parallel between the the. Um, decision process in poker and not being results oriented necessarily and um and what kind of what we do in the challenge and in the health and fitness world is you know, all process i mean for me you know the moment you get caught up in results which you most of the time have no control over you know somebody gets fixated on losing weight 
there are a lot of things that go into whether or not your body loses weight. You may be have you may eat perfectly. You may track every single calorie, every nut. I see the jar of nuts on the table. You know, every single nut that goes into your body and you still aren't losing weight. And you know, maybe it has to do with sleep. Maybe it has to do with stress. Maybe it has to do with your kids or your husband or you know, emotional stuff and if you focus on the fact that you're not losing weight, you are in deep trouble most mm -hmm. of the time, you know, because yep. it doesn't, because it's, it's like banging your head against the wall and, yeah. it, and it starts to hurt. And, um, but if you focus on the, the, the decisions you're making on a daily basis, knowing if you have that long-term mentality and can see beyond what's right in front of you, you know that uh, eventually something's going to shift. I'd never really thought about that with, um, yeah. with, with gaming and poker and yeah, it's interesting. What, um, do you play more for fun or with your friends and hanging out or do you play more for the sport of, of winning and, um, competition? Like how's your, I used to, I used to be more competitive. I don't, I don't really play competitive anymore. I mean, I might in some, some, sometime I don't have the time or the bankroll to really play competitively right now. I love it. Love the World Series of Poker. Um, what was the highest you've ever how you've done in the World well, Series? Well, I, I won a, a World Series of Poker event, World Series of Poker bracelet in okay. Pot Limit Hold'em in 2006. What's it called? Pot Limit Hold'em? Pot Limit Hold'em. What does that mean? Is that like Texas Hold'em? It's Texas Hold'em, and the variant that most people play these days is called No Limit Hold'em. Okay. But there's also Limit Hold'em, which means you're, the, the, the bet sizes are fixed. Okay. No limit means there's you can bet any amount, right? And pot limit means you can bet up to the size of the current pot. The pot okay. grows, you can bet more. Okay, so it's a variance, uh, and and so uh, so I, I won I won that event in two thousand and six. Okay, um, which is you know it, it's as every poker player's dream. I mean, every poker player wants to win what's called a main event. Mm -hmm. If you remember a guy named Chris Moneymaker. I've or, heard that name. Or Chris Ferguson yeah. or Doyle Brunson, uh, Johnny Chan. See, they're I, the, so these out are, of that. These are, these are the names that the, the popular media would have heard about. Yep, yep. Uh, but these are, they, they won what's called a main event. Okay. And so each year in Las Vegas, the World Series of Poker is a series of events. Okay. The main event being the final one, and that's the one uh, that, that, that everybody thinks about. But there's also, I think there's like 50... 50 some odd tournaments leading up to that. It's like a two month series. And so I won one of those preliminary events. And when you go to the main event, is that one style of poker or is it no limit, limit Texas Hold'em? All yep. of them are no, all, no. When you go to the, when the you go to event, that, yeah, each event is its own thing. Got it. Got it. They're independent from one another. Okay. Yeah. And do you, ha do you have to win one of the little events to go to the main nope. event? Nope. They're all, they're all independent events. As long as you have oh, the really? buy in. You got cash on the barrel head, you're in. So the so the it's really what do you got to ante up? Like, what do you got to start with? And and do you that's have right. It? You you put you put your you put your buy in. In my case, it was a fifteen hundred dollar buy in, and uh, as the winner of the tournament, I got three hundred fifty thousand. Wow. Um, played. I think there's like eleven hundred people. Uh, Jeez. Wow. It was a three day three day event. Uh, the main event these days is it, well. It's always a ten thousand dollar buy in the main event. Okay, and uh, the winner gets eight or ten million. Whoa! Yeah. How many people are in the in the main event events? Five thousand more. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. And what? Um, 
do you, you so you're not playing for the pot of the games you're playing you're playing for prizes prize money yeah so the way the tournament works unlike what's called a cash game mm-hmm. uh which, which is, is what which is I what play you play house yeah, or whatever absolutely. yeah absolutely play at your house uh a cash game you just you buy in you buy, you buy in again you can leave at any time you just take what you know just table stakes right mm-hmm. um in a in a tournament you all start with the same you, you buy in for the same amount you start with the same number of chips and then that's it you you play until you lose your chips and the mm-hmm. order in which you bust out and lose all your chips is the order you finish and so mm-hmm. at the end of the tournament there will be one person with all the chips but what that whole activity of, of playing uh, and eliminating players does is it creates a rank ordering Okay. From one to the last place, right? And uh, tournaments typically pay out about ten or fifteen percent, the top ten or fifteen percent, in descending order. So the first place obviously gets uh, the most amount of money, yep. and it's just a predetermined percentage of the entire pot or buy-ins. Okay. And the and the you go home with all. So you have you win all. You literally, in order to win the tournament, you have to win all the chips. All the chips. Wow. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. How many chips do you start with in a tournament? Like, does it just vary? I think I started with fifteen hundred. I mean, uh, so how many chips did you finish with? Like a couple million. Couple. I guess. <laughs> do you have like markers that? Okay, this is represents one million chips, and this yeah. rep, you don't have. So when you start, the chips are really small denominations. Like, right, right. You know, they don't mean anything. They're just right. Yeah. So T T twenty five tournament twenty five dollar chip oh, it doesn't see. really you know, and then uh, by the end they they do well over the course of 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 time the chips get your chip stack gets too big and they yep. they, they they change you up they call it's called coloring you up they give you a different color chip yep. which represents you know uh a thousand right or you know hundred five a thousand five thousand ten thousand twenty five thousand dollars you know yep so so you don't have too many chips in front of you right but it's, the stacks can get pretty big right does it make it you know, I know, one of the things that, that happens to me when I um, when I'm in the gym and I'm weightlifting is uh, when I get we have different color plates mm. for different weights. Mm. So we use bumper plates which bounce mm-hmm. on the ground and it's Olympic lifting. And uh, when when I would increase the weight, I and I kept putting tens on, and they're black. Mm. No, no problem. I could put four tens on, five tens on each each side. So I'm up to. You know, five tens on. I'm up to about 150 pounds. Um, psychologically, that was very different than having one red plate that represented a much bigger weight. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, does that does the difference in stacks, the amount of chips versus a mark for that represents, does that make a difference? When you yeah, so it's a really good question. Very perceptive. Uh, I think it does. Hmm. I think it does. Uh, the same amount of dollars in chips if you have a big stack of smaller denominations it's more intimidating right and you feel more right. powerful you feel like you have a bigger stack so right. it changes the psychology for sure it changes the psychology of the player your opponents and and it changes your own psychology in terms of feeling confident right. i i i believe right right what what are some of the things that you well, okay. I, there's so many questions I have. <laughs> my, my mind is like spinning through a Rolodex because, like, I I see. Well, ask, ask the most important one, the one you're avoiding. God, I don't know which one's <laughs> most important. Like, I have, I have physical questions, like how how 
difficult is it to make it through a tournament? Like from a like just a well being and physical standpoint. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stamina involved. You notice that now. So, what happened in the world of poker? There was a phase shift over the last decade or so. The best player in the world used to be, uh, you know, old crotchety guys with cowboy hats. Right. Um, now the best player is like uh, a Twitch TV video game player who's been playing online, mm. uh, you know, since they were 16 and now they're the ripe old age of 24 and, and they're just like a demon. I mean, they're, you know, they have the stamina. Yep. Uh, they have the reaction time. They have the, the mental flexibility. When you say reaction time, I, I can't picture what, why do you need reaction time? Like what? Because um, you have to make a decision in a split second. Why? And, oh, um, well, uh, you don't, you're not required to, uh-huh. uh, but you don't have all day. Right. To, to think are there timers are there clocks? Uh, yeah i mean so like chess you know like yeah you, you usually you know you would make a decision in in several seconds you know maybe you know maybe as much as 10 or 20 seconds but uh if you if you took that lot long for every single decision you know the game would go on forever yeah right. so right. um and then people are watching you as you make a decision right so you have to at least be able to make a gut decision right. and not have to think about everything because you're giving away too much information. Right, 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 right. So you might make a gut decision, like a split second decision, but then you might wait, you know, to make it appear that right. you know, you're not sure what you're doing. Right. But if you're not able to, to really just know what the right play is, uh, then you're you're not really playing, you know, at a at a championship level, right? If you have to think about every single thing, uh, oftentimes, you know, when you when you start thinking, you start second guessing yourself. Your head yep. gets in the way. Yeah, you played enough poker, you know what to do, hmm. right? And we, and oftentimes we get get in our own way. But there are a lot of levels of what to do, right? I mean, there's at least in my head, mm-hmm. there's do you do you continue to play do you fold mm-hmm. do you bet more do you mm-hmm. do you um uh and then and then your how you do it how you do what you do your strategy to to communicate whether or not you're unsure of yourself or you're confident like there's a whole hierarchy of have you ever decisions. learned another language uh, well, in high Study school, Spanish I was studying German in German. high school. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever get to a level of proficiency where you didn't have to think about it? You're just talking. Um, even just a little bit. Have you <laughs> maybe, had that experience? Maybe a little bit. Maybe right. a little bit. Weightlifting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. In weightlifting. Okay. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So you think about it, and you take. Am I doing the right technique? This and the other. Yeah. You think about it now. No, you don't. Have, I don't okay. even think Same about thing. it. Same thing. Huh. All of those levels of like yeah. the things that are very rote for me. Like I have to yeah. think. You just, it just, there's happens. always another level. Right, right, right. right. There's always another level. And, uh, but <laughs> uh, mo- most of those, I mean, all the lower levels that you're, you become a virtuoso in, you become an expert right, in, right. you don't think about them. It's kind of like, any, it's like anything, it's like, like a musical anything. instrument. Same thing. Absolutely, yes. Right, right. Huh. It's so, it's so interesting to me how blind I am to, the parallels of course it's the same mm. like why would it not be the same right why, like and yet my mind immediately goes to i don't know anything about poker mm. and but i i know a lot about poker just not the 
the mechanics yeah you know of like how the game works and i mean even yeah. i even kind of know that yeah so it's uh it's really interesting what um how long did you play poker just for fun like like what was your trajectory into this wor world of competitive poker and how did that occur yeah so i i played you know th th through high school and uh and I, and I went to college and i wanted to you know, I just assumed that in college, oh, great, there'd be all these poker games. It'll be fun. Right. Right. And uh, I, went Where to, did you go to school? I went to a competitive school, uh, Stanford University. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, of course, they're going to be playing poker. It'll be, it'll be great. I love playing games. And, right. Um, and I couldn't find anybody <laughs> who wanted to play really? for the first year. Yeah, it huh. was crazy. But then I fell in with a group. You know, there's the few oddballs who are, de uh -huh. you know, you know uh, Degenerates. Uh, was it looked down on? Was it looked it was, I mean, yeah. it was, frowned upon? It's, it, 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 up until um, it started being televised right. and, and popularized, ESPN, it was. ESPN, a, yeah. You know, we were looked askance at. Oh, you degenerate gamblers! <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you, are you addicted? You right. Know, it's like. Right. Meanwhile, people are you know getting mind-numbingly drunk and right. You know, and and, and uh, you're playing poker. Like, a, it's, yeah, yeah, must be bad. Yeah. I mean, I drank too, but <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, so there was a stigma, but not too bad. And but it was still fun at that. I mean, that was, oh yeah, we were just playing for fun. Just and playing for fun. I mean, I still so we started that game in the dorms in 1987. I still play with those people today. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it must be one Are of they, the longer running games. You mean like local? When you say long San running game, Bay Area. Do you go up there and play, or do I, you? I, do, I mean, I do, and I travel up there. So um, so the games are live. It's not like you're playing on yeah, a virtual. No, you're no. not playing on on a video chat. Room right. or something, yeah, and 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 we play we play for fun, right? right. And right. and yeah, the, but you're fun. You're not playing nickel dime quarter. No, what but, does fun for you guys look like? Somebody might win, you know, at most or lose at most a couple thousand in a night. Okay, right. And so, given the relative stakes, like we were playing, not that much smaller in college, where it right. really meant something, right? You right. Know? So it's clearly not about the for for that game and for my, I think for most people who play poker it's not about particularly the you know the financials right 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 you're doing it for other reasons right so it's a, just a fun you know an incredible time like right. you know camaraderie right uh, and then um after college started playing in the local casinos because there are there are poker rooms legalized poker rooms uh in California and in the bay area in particular and uh, you know, that was amateur, but there was a lot of amateurs, you know, playing and it was, it was fun and just moving up the ranks and playing in bigger games. What does Vegas have to gain by people playing poker? Like, is there, there's no house, is there? Like there's yeah, no... Yeah, there, there is a house. And what they do is they, uh, they just charge you a, a percentage of the, a small percentage of the pot. Oh. Uh, and so you're not playing against the house. Right. You know, That's you, why I never really figured out. Like in blackjack, it's obvious you're playing against a house right. but or roulette or any yeah. of the other games. All the other but, games, I think, are that way. But poker, you're playing against other people. Yeah, exactly. So, they just take a cut of the pot. Every t every pot. Every winning, every every, winning every pot. They, they take, take a few their bucks. chips. Right, yeah. right. Huh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, so I mean, it can be very lucrative right. um, for the house. And it's a percentage of the pot. So if the pot's a hundred bucks, they take their up to a maximum. They're they're okay. only taking a few bucks per pot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, yeah. So, just continued playing, uh, and 
in, in I was also a, a, an entrepreneur, started a company, and this is, you know, the 90s in Silicon Valley. And what were you start? What did you, what did you major in in college? Computer science. Okay. Yeah. So it was perfect, perfect confluence for me because yep. I was, you know, doing the computer thing and the you were writing came code. Along. You learned like yeah. what were the languages you learned in code languages and what were your you know, first C things? C plus uh-huh. plus. Uh, you know, a lot of different languages. Um, wasn't wasn't so much about the languages, um, but. Uh, but yeah, and I was so I started started companies, and um, after after the web bubble burst, mm-hmm. uh, I was still playing. You know, uh, I went to the World Series of Poker for the first time and started playing those tournaments. I like to say that um, you know you, you you become a professional when you lose your your day job, right? Hmm. Right. It's it's right. a continuum. It's not. There's no hard, you know, there's no <laughs> professional association you have to join. You don't have to get a card right. that says you're a, a qualified poker player. You just, anybody can enter, right? It's very egalitarian. That but way. if that's all you do. Then you're, you're, then you're by definition a professional. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's very much the same way in the world of triathlon and running. And, you know, you're, you become a professional when, well, some people get sponsors. Like I was sponsored by Red Bull yeah. and I called, called myself a pro, even though I was still training people. Um, but there's no, if a team came in or an individual comes in and wins yeah. and beats all the pros, yeah. are they a pro? If, even if they're not, if it's just for fun? Right. Who knows? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a label, right? Right. I mean, there are now sponsors in, yeah. in, 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 in poker, but there weren't, you know, back in the day. So how, how is it different? Like think back, if, if you think back to your first tournament where, well, I'm assuming that your first tournament there was a difference in the way you sat down at the table versus just hanging out with your friends. Like, is there, is there a difference? And when, what's, what is that like when you don't know anyone and you're, you've entered this thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I gotten used to the idea of, I mean, sitting down at a table where I didn't know anybody. Oh, um, you, oh you did. Yeah. So because if you go into any card room, any casino, oh, right, right. You don't know it. Right. You know, right. you might know some of the people or some of the regulars, but, um, but you, but through the course of play, you start to learn about people. Right. It's actually a really interesting sociological study. Right. And your your aim is to under, is to learn about them so quickly and, and really you know, get to the essence of what makes them tick and what, how they're making their decisions. Uh, that is really the essence of the game. Right. You know, the cards will come and go. You're going to get just as many good cards as they are and, you know, good cards as bad cards. Yep. But you really, your job is to play the players, hmm. and to play the players, you really have to understand and know them at a, at a, you know, at as deep a level as possible. How does how does that work? I mean, I, <laughs> just, by observing, I just picture you know walking into a casino, sitting down at a table. First, you got to pick the table. Hmm. Like, is that part of the strategy? You yeah, pick the right the biggest, table. So you you got it. So the 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 most important decision you can make as a poker player is what table to sit at. Hmm. Imagine that you're the the tenth best player in the world, and yep. and you and you look over and there's a table and you're thinking about playing and there's numbers one through nine. Is it a good decision to sit at that table or not? Well, if you want to, if you have What's something to prove, but uh, probably want to win money, not. probably not. Right, no, that's right. the worst decision. If you want to win, right? Yeah, most important. So, if you can't, you know, if 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 you if you can't beat the table, you shouldn't sit down. If that's your goal. If your goal is just to prove that you can maybe be the eighth player in the world and you were ninth, then... Okay. For sure. You're right. right. There are different motivations. Right. Yeah. 
So. But if you want to win, absolutely, that's a bad decision. Right. So, but how do you know? But okay, so say we go over to a casino. I don't know. There's a cas- Are there casinos around here that you can play poker at? Yep. Where where do you go? What's the what are uh, the Hollywood Park, the bicycle casino? Is it still casino, open? The, but Hollywood Park still open? Uh, I think they're remodeling or something like they're, that. Well, their their Rams are moving it. in yeah. to that area. I think they move reopening. But yeah. So okay, so we walk in there. We you yeah. and I go and we decide yeah. to have a road yeah. trip and yeah. you know go to how you don't know anybody there. You don't know the top eight players in the world. No, well, you probably do, but no. Um, I certainly don't. How what? How do you pick? So so first of all, I I pick. I would, you know, let's say that I, I knew I wanted to play uh, No Limit Texas Hold'em at a particular stake. Okay. Right? So figure out the stakes that I want to play at. And when you I say the play. stake, that means the, an, the, the, the buy-in. So, okay. I, you know, I can, the buy-in is, you know, $100 or 500 or 1000 Okay. Right? Um, and so I'll, I'll look for a game, a, a type of game, yep. No Limit Texas Hold'em, Pot Limit Omaha, high, low, stud, whatever the type is, and the stakes. Uh, and within the set of games that I would be willing to play, I'd probably look around the table. If I had a choice, I'd look around and look at the various tables and say, you know, I'd like to sit, you know, I'd get on the list for that game. Hmm. Or if there's a seat open, sit down in that game. Not based on the people, but based on this, the game and the stakes. Well, no, I would, the... yes. First, I would filter based on the, the type of, and stakes that I want. But yep. then I would look at the table. And right. I try to size up the table, meaning look at who's playing, what their what their stacks are, how they're dressed, huh. uh, their demeanor. Um, you know, do they look tired? It's, it's they- funny because as as you're describing this, I'm thinking of my experience in sizing people up from an athletic standpoint. Sure. Same idea. I'm probably the worst person to uh-huh. size people up at because I look at people and I think, or you know. And I, maybe because I haven't paid much attention yeah. to my my ability to do that, but typically the people that I peg as easily beatable yeah. or you know they stand no chance, yeah. typically they end up coming back and kicking yeah. my ass. <laughs> so, Same thing happens in poker. So you form look when you when you when you first encounter somebody, you know very little. You make these yep. snap judgments, but then if you re- maintain an open mind and you observe their actions, right. Right, and uh, and you observe how they're behaving and interacting, all the non-verbal cues, all the non-poker things. Mm-hmm. Then over time, you actually get to know quite a bit about them. You can, so right. it's really right. important to to be observant. I like to tell people who are, you know, just starting out in poker, uh, that it's much less important what your cards are than what the other players' cards are. In fact. It's not about you and your play and what you're thinking. It's what everybody else is doing and thinking. And so try not try playing without looking at your cards. What? Just try it sometime. Literally? Literally. <laughs> so they de- you deal the cards, never even pick them up. Yeah, you might want to you might want to pretend to look. Okay. But the idea is uh if 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 you're focused on your cards and and yeah. And and yeah. and the information has gotten into your brain it'll it'll affect you in a way that uh that I'm suggesting you might want to try doing without. That's interesting. Cuz I, I I have these pictures in my mind of of the games I used to play with my my buddies in the Marines and uh I would completely fixate on the cards. I don't have no I have no idea what they were doing. No idea what they were yeah. doing, you know? And uh that 
would be a fun thing to try. Yeah. That'd be a really fun it's totally experiment. Totally fun. Yeah. Yeah. There are people, oh. I mean, it's, uh, there are people who do this regularly, especially it's easy to do if you're playing online because you just put like masking tape over, over the place where your cards show up. Huh. And, but if and, you're playing online, do you see a, uh, do you see a, how do you, 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 you see never, cartoon representations of everything and you don't see their people's faces particularly. So how does online give you the clues that you would get in person? It doesn't give you the same clues, uh, all the same clues. It's, but you know, uh, you know what people bet, you know, how long it takes them to make that decision. Right. Uh, there's chat, oh. uh, you know, so they might be saying stuff. And then you know the history, right? So if you right. know, you know, some somebody just took, you know, three or four bad beats in a row and they had, you know, $10,000 in chips and now they're down to like 500 bucks, how do you think they're feeling? Crappy. Yeah. So how how are you going to approach them? Yeah. I, that's interesting. I don't know. But that's, <laughs> right? Right. So, but that's what you want to have a like I'm I'm so I'm such a uh novice at the game that I'm so fixed I'm like the you know to go to the language example that you mm. gave I'm still thinking about how do you what's the right word to choose yeah. and what's the translation for that of word we all not, started there right right but the the whole idea that the whole next the next piece well maybe not the next piece but certainly a different piece is What's going on outside of my little Andy's world, you know? Yeah. So, um, so all you can all you can really uh, focus on and attend to is the the level that you are at and know and are working on, and the and 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 below the thing, right. stuff you've internalized. Right. So you probably internalize the rules of the game. Right. Right. You probably know the, how you know bet, check, yep, raise, fold. Yep. When you first started out, you didn't know any of that. Right. You were concentrating 100% on, am I following the rules? Right, right. But you internalize that. And then yep. you're like, okay, what beats what? Yep. Do you have to think about that or do you know it? Mm, right? For the most part, I know that. Okay, yeah. so now you've internalized that. So now you're um, probably thinking about, okay, well, what's the strength of my hand? Right. 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 Relative to, say, an average hand or, or what could be out there. But then the next level is, well, what could other people possibly have? Right. Right? Because you're not going to know the strength of your hand for this pot until you have an idea or a theory of what other people have. Yep. Right? And then it's a matter of, okay, how do you refine that so you have a much better understanding of what people have? How big are the decks that they play with? I mean, is it 52, 52 cards yep. or is it... Standard playing cards. So that you don't... No jokers. So there's no... You never, you never sit at a table where more than 52 cards are required for everybody to get a hand. Correct. So what's the limit? Is there a limit to the number of players on a, at a table at a time? Uh, 10 usually, yeah. But isn't that too many cards? Well, it, so for, for games like Texas Hold'em, everybody has two personal cards that yep. only they see, whole cards. And then there's... Oh, right. Then there's five in the, the middle, right. shared cards. Right. And you, t you make your best five cards out of the two in your hand plus the five in the board. Right, that's right. Right. So, yeah, so you can have a lot of players. You can, yeah. Right. But but a, a, the table only fits about 10 people, and that's just the way. Some games, uh, you you can't have 10 people, like seven-card stud. There's just not enough. Right, right. Yeah. Huh. Um, again, my mind is just 
buzzing with questions. <laughs> <laughs> what um uh what are some of the things that Okay, so how how does how do the, some of the things you've learned po- in poker apply to your life or the life of of anyone? Like how how what are some of the things that someone could take away from either learning how to play poker or your experience in poker that you could give as, as advice mm. for people who are just in their normal life, who are yeah. never going to play poker. Yeah. Like what are some, have you thought about those things? And oh, yeah. just curious. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an incredible, uh, not metaphor, but practice ground for, for life skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the main ones is, is I already mentioned just, understanding and knowing there's a difference between a decision and an outcome. We sometimes get attached right. to outcomes and, and not only do we get attached to outcomes, we attach our ego to the outcomes. So, right. uh, I, I won or I lost, I, I succeeded or I failed based on the turn of a card. Right. Right. Or based on something that I couldn't control in business. Right. Or couldn't predict. And that's a tough way to go through life. It's really emotionally difficult and nor is it really productive or, right. or effective. Um, but if you, if you have played enough poker and you, you, you understand that it's, it, you know, just because you win or win or lose doesn't mean you're a winner or a loser. Mm. That's good. Right? I like that. Uh, that's a very powerful switch in right. mindset right um also just getting comfortable with with risk right, right. taking right. risks jumping off a ledge into the unknown right right pulling the trigger on a decision um that might be tough getting over your fear right learning to deal with fear and emotions in a pressure situation it's like athletics right 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 um all those things come to bear Psych- just look you know, learning, you know, psychology, what motivates people, yep. learning to, to tap into what they're thinking, what they're feeling is incredibly important in business and in life. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, cause in some ways when you're an athlete and you're like one of the sports I, I did, uh, back in the day was, uh, called outrigger paddling, mm-hmm. um, where you're in a boat, it's kind of like, it's kind of like rowing but you're facing forward instead of facing backwards mm. and you're, it's like the Hawaiians paddled mm. the canoes with the outrigger on it. And, um, it's, it's much more, I, I used to say, um, cause I had friends that always wanted me to try rowing and I was like, rowing is kind of like road cycling versus mountain, like outrigger paddling is more like mountain biking. Mm. There's more, a little more adventure. The boat can tip over in a, I know the boat can tip over rowing, but you actually are surfing the swells out in the ocean mm. and it's, it's really exciting. You, you do these things in, in these long races that are 50 miles or 60 miles that are called wet changes where you have a motorboat following behind your boat and you, two or three guys will jump out of the outrigger and they'll, they, the, 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 the speedboat has already dropped two or three guys in front of your boat and the huh. boat goes by and as the boat's going by, those guys pull themselves into the boat. It's called a wet change. Cool. 50 or 60 miles? Yeah. So they'll do, they'll, there's, a, there's a famous race every year that goes to Catalina. Um, that's a, that's a not as long a race. What, the, what is that, about 20? There's a song that will tell you the answer. I don't remember. 26 miles across the sea or something like that. Yeah. Um, 
and it depends on where you start from on the mm-hmm. California coast. But uh, and then there's a very famous one, kind of the world championship of outrigger paddling, is in Molokai. It goes from Molokai mm-hmm. to Oahu, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah. So there's long, there's some long, long, long races. I, I may maybe exaggerate. No, I think the Molokai Channel crossing is in the 50 mile range. Um, I've I've done it a couple times. I should know the. I should know that, but uh, I don't off the top of my head. So uh, here's... But, but like one of the yeah. things, I just don't want to lose this train Please. of thought, is one of the things that, that I learned was I'm always better off keeping my head in the boat, focusing on what I'm doing, not on what the other boats are doing, mm. not on what the other people are doing. Mm. Just just play, just focus on my game. Um, and, and, and that's a very different mindset than sitting down at a poker, play, poker table and you have to... To be an effective player, you know, they're fundamentally different sports. Yeah, or yeah. activities. Yep. Right. So you do what's required for the activity at hand. But I would say that that skill, it, like, let's say you're, it comes down to a, a shootout at the end, you know, of a of a race, and you're you're going up against another crew. You you almost need someone to know. I think. Um, to kind of keep their eye on what the other boat's doing or how they're feeling or how they're, what stroke rate they're at or how they're, um, so those people, maybe you have one person in the boat that's checking right. that and then you can adjust based on what they're doing. I'm not sure exactly. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So here's a skill from poker, from playing poker. It's that uh, there's, a. Uh, in poker circles, there's a, an activity called proposition betting. Uh-huh. So, uh, for instance, you had, you had said, well, I think that the, you know, the distance of the longest race is like 50 miles. Right. And what, what poker players know and people who do a lot of betting know is that you can think whatever you want, but when you have money on the line, your predictions get really darn good. <laughs> Right. So if I said, look, you know, is it over or under 50 miles? What would you say? I'd say it's over 50 miles. Okay. And if I said, if you had to bet $1,000 right now. W- would I? Would, would, you, would you bet 1000 bucks on it being over 50? Um, I think so. Okay. I think I would. Would you bet $1,000 on it being... Under a hundred, I would definitely bet a thousand dollars on it being. Would under you 100. bet a thousand dollars on it being under sixty? <laughs> I don't think so. No, I don't think I would do that. Would you bet a thousand dollars on it being over sixty? No. So is it sixty? Uh, well, let's go. We'll go check after this. Yeah, we'll check. But th- so that that race. So if you if you yeah. just going through that exercise about would you. Would you bet on it? You actually, somewhere in your brain and your physiology, you know the answers to this because right. you saw it somewhere. Right. And so going through that exercise of putting money on it actually will sometimes surface the exact right answer. Well, it's interesting. We, I was telling you before uh, the, we started this recording that I was teaching my son. My son came home and was telling me how his, one of his best friends at school was telling him that the Cowboys were the winningest Super Bowl team. Right. And uh, my son actually had come home several weeks before and told me that. And we actually looked it up on Google and, and um, uh, you know, it turned out the Steelers are the winningest and they've won four Super Bowls. Cowboys, I think, have won three. And I think there's another team. 
Um, I don't know if it's San Francisco or who it is. It's one four, but um, you know, he's like, I, I want to go back to school and bet his bet my friend on this, and you know, I should bet him a thousand dollars or bet him a hundred dollars. A thousand dollars probably doesn't no concept of what that is, and and I said, well, you know, do you want him to take the bet? Like, do do you actually want him to have? Do you want do you want there a transaction to take place where one of you wins and one of you loses? Because if you bet him a hundred bucks, he's going to know that you're really confident, and mm-hmm. he's probably going to say, eh, eh, no, you're probably right, mm. you know, or something." I, I think actually mm-hmm. that's what would happen. Well, but if you bet him a buck, right. he, he, you're not communicating as much confidence in your. In your aunt, in, um, you might be fully confident, and you may want to take his dollar, right. but you may be communicating that you're not as confident. Yeah, I think what's going on there is is very. It's a very common situation where we want the answer to be a certain thing, but unless there's something riding on that being true or not, you're just sort of free to say what you want, not what you right. believe. Right. And so when you're forced to bet, it reveals what you truly believe. Right. Huh. Interesting. Right. Well, it also reveals the strength of your conviction. Correct. So if you're willing to bet on it, you, you've got a pretty good foundation. Yeah. Um, or you're bluffing. Yeah. But there's no bluffing in, in, in proposition bets. Either there's an right. answer or there's right. not. I right. mean, there is an answer. Right. You're either, either you're right or you're wrong. Right. And so it's actually an interesting exercise. Right. Well, um, so you still play poker today? Some. Yeah. Yeah. I, I The other thing that I enjoy doing with poker is... Uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll host or, I'll, you know, appear at a, in a play in a charity fundraiser. Oh, cool. Done that over, you know, it's a good way to raise, raise money for charitable causes. Right. It's also a good way to, to teach concepts. Right. Right. So we're talking right now about some of the concepts that poker can teach you. Um, and so as of late, I've, uh, I've developed a, you know, a, a talk that I give to people about venture capital and how, uh, venture capital is is changing. It's actually being disrupted. Hmm. Um, you know the technology that venture capitalists fund, the entrepreneurs that venture capitalists fund, are actually starting companies like Crowdfunder, what's my previous company, uh, and a lot of things are changing in the world of venture investing. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned about how to make good decisions as an, as an investor. Um, and the economics are similar, uh, in poker as in venture capital. So it's been kind of fun because I'm bringing together two things that I'm, I'm passionate about investing in poker. And, uh, and I have a, I think a pretty fun and cool talk and a way to, to get people to understand a, how to, how to win at poker. Mm Mm-hmm. And how to win at venture investing. So, how how is it changing? How do you see it changing? I mean, this is you've you've been someone that's been in it from yeah. really the beginning of what modern the modern concept is of yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, f- 
first and foremost, um, if you look back at the history of poker, I, I mentioned that uh, the best players in the world were, you know, sort of cowboys, yep. and yep. they played on gut feel and yep. and, and, and guts and, and balls, and uh, there's and revol- very little and revolvers and revolvers. You know. Yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's a, it is a big part of the game. Is you know just sort of that intimidation and bluffing. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, there's some fundamental mathematics and fundamental economic and game theoretic principles that uh, you need in order to play optimal poker. Yep. Right. And so over the years, as computers and and mathematicians and people who are mathematically inclined have started playing in the game and bringing those techniques to bear and combining them with all the uh, all the old school techniques and knowledge it's just the the level of virtuosity of poker players has gotten to the point where it's practically a solved game it's like right. it's like the stock market it used to be that you know uh you know a person uh with just sort of their you know their wits and their willingness to bet could could beat the market yeah right yep. but it's just so efficient now right you can't beat the market Similar dynamic is happening in venture capital. Um, and so there are a lot of myths in venture capital. There are several key myths in venture capital that don't stand scrutiny when you really put up the data over the last 35 years. One of them is that you know, VCs spend a lot of time trying to select winners, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you say you're starting a company. It's going to be the next Uber. It's going to be Uber for, for pets. <laughs> right, and I, as a venture capitalist, at least traditionally, will spend a lot of time looking at your business plan and the market size, and doing this and that and the other. And uh, I'll spend on average about five months. Wow, doing diligence before I make a decision. Wow, this, this is in the past. This not is current. Yeah. Well, uh, still, that's, it's that still, number that's still the still mean way that uh, at the early stages, yep. uh, investors make decisions. Okay. It turns out that it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of analysis I do. Nobody can fundamentally predict the winners at the seed stage. Hmm. You might be the next Mark Zuckerberg, or you might be the next Pets.com, right? Which f- flailed, right? Right. Uh, it's just e- fundamentally e- toys, unpredictable, yeah. right? Right. Um, and yet, investors continually act as if they can predict. And they waste resources, and they they, they create a strategy uh, around this fundamental misconception. So, is your strategy now just to avoid the seed round? No. In fact, one of the other things that's really interesting is that even though venture capitalists tend to put about seventy percent of their capital to work at the later stages where the risk is lower, it seems yep. like a natural idea. Uh, it turns out that most of the returns are to be made. By investing at the earliest stages, <laughs> where the risk is highest, right, which is right. where you don't know the most, where you don't know where the you most, you can't predict you anything, re- right? But because of that, you get rewarded by yeah. the marketplace. So, yeah. if you're willing to to pull the trigger, make a bet, knowing that in the long run, and the key is the long run, I'll tell you about that. You're going to actually do about twice as good hmm. from a financial perspective as if you waited till the later stages, okay, where it's safer. Yep. yep. Right. So. Venture capital, later stages, around 15%, roughly speaking, uh, return on investment 
uh, annualized. And then the, the earliest stage is about 30%. So okay. It's a big difference. Yep. Right. Um, now, if, if I was to go out and leave right now without you saying anything else, I would, I'd be perplexed because you just told me that uh, you have no idea how to predict mm, a winner in right. a seed round. Um, and, and, but you also told me that I'm going to tell you one more piece of the puzzle and then you can, you can put the puzzle together and see if you can get the right answer. Okay. Okay. Um, so if, uh, the average the market average returns, let's say 30%, but you can't really predict any individual, uh, any individual company to bet on, but you know, that if you bet on enough of them, uh-huh. you know, the average, uh, you'll, you'll average that 30% over okay. time. Yep. What would be the correct strategy? Shotgun. To, there you go. Shotgun, otherwise known as a diversified portfolio. But that's been known for, I mean, that's something people have been talking about since I was like, since I, my mom first told me, taught me about mutual funds. All right, like exactly. Get a get a index fund. Get a. That's right, an index fund. So that's um, that seems to be the correct mathematical approach huh. if you want to make the most return on investment. Right. Okay. Long term. Long term. Right. Yeah. It turns out so. And one of the things that that we found out by by doing all the numbers is that the venture an average venture capital fund is under diversified. By about 10x. Wow. Meaning uh, an average fund will invest in 30 companies starting at the earliest stages uh, and think that they're well diversified enough. But they're not. They need to be invested in about 300. 300? Yep. Or more. Wow. Right. In order to really be properly diversified, in order to spread that that risk. Does that mean five months of research on all 300 um, companies like that? I mean, it sounds staggering. If you did that, remember, we just talked about this. It's worthless to do five months of research. Oh, right. Shotgun. It's right. right. You can't predict. So so an index approach, more automated approach would yield higher returns. Yeah. Right. Um, when you say it yield higher returns, does that mean also the the returns are muted? They're, you're not going to get the tenfold or twentyfold or hundredfold exactly. that you could if exactly, right. exactly. So that's also the key to why venture capitalists perpetuate the old model. Right. Um, they want the they want the they want the unicorn style returns right. because that helps them raise money from right. investors. Investors. Uh, they're limited partner investors. Um, you know, they, they want they want those higher returns. So they're the, the, what the venture capitalists do is they say, look, we're going to be a, a market beating fund, yep. right? And so that's how they need to do to market to attract venture capital money um, uh, from limited partners, and they earn fees. The more yep. they raise, the more fees they earn, regardless of the outcome. Yep. So it makes sense. It's logical, you know. It's uh, economically logical from a VC perspective. But if the limited partners really knew that nobody could pick winners, not even these great VCs, and if they really knew that with a proper strategy you could earn thirty percent over a long period of time, hmm. they would not invest necessarily with the strategy that that took chances 
to get the unicorn returns yeah. over the market returns. That, that one guy knows, like the show Billions. I love that show. Um, mm, yeah. Um, you know, he's Bobby done, Axelrod. Bobby Axelrod, right? I, for, yeah. I forgot his name because it's been a while since the episode yeah. has aired. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he's built his career on picking the winners. Well, actually, the, that's not true, right? If you if you pay close attention to what's going on in that show, he made his career on inside information. Right, right, right. Which is helpful. <laughs> and, and illegal. illegal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. Huh. It's not, it doesn't sound as much fun. Mm. As, yeah, unicorns are fun. Yeah, right. yeah. Like I like the 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 uh, the ability to go back and say, look what look what I picked, and so, look what it did. So know? here's what's here's what's fun to me, right? I love look. I love trying to pick winners, but you yeah. go broke really quickly, right? Uh, doing that, you can get a thousand x if you right a thousand times your money, right? You you, you bet ten thousand dollars, you get. Ten million dollar return, mm-hmm. right? If you are lucky enough to pick you know, the right Uber one, or, you yeah. Know. But you can also get a thousand x return if you just invested it at you know thirty percent over thirty years, right? Actually, more. You just have to be willing to wait. Yeah. Right. Right, and you have to have the right um, methodology and, and 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 diligence. Right. right. You can't just you just can't deviate right from it. Um, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, like as an entrepreneur, I've always succeeded so far with, with the, the, the endeavors that I've done by putting all my eggs in one basket, yeah. not by diversifying my, I'm not an entrepreneur in 10 different things. I'm not an entrepreneur in 10 different industries. I do it in one health and fitness is all I've really done. So look, as an investor, I invest in entrepreneurs as an entrepreneur, I'm all in. Okay. Right. Right. As right. an investor, you would not want to invest in entrepreneurs who are not all in on what they do. It's my job as right, an investor to right. diversify. It's your job as an entrepreneur to be all in. Right. Right. But as an entrepreneurial investor, yeah. you're you're all in in your strategy. So you but your strategy is all <laughs> is shotgun. Yeah. Right. Huh. That's kind of cool how that all. I, I call it together. I call it building a diversified portfolio or indexed approach. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Get the old Vanguard uh, money market. Absolutely. Index fund. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well. Wow. Ten times. Ten times under uh, diversified. That's amazing. Mm. I know. It's it, and it, it it when when you see something like that, if you're you know if 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 you've been making your living you know, for the last 10, 20 years doing that, your natural reaction is, well, it's just a bunch of BS. Right. Right. Or, or you rationalize why you do it the way you do it. Right. Right. Well, of course we, that's what we all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your, uh, the, the adventure of your life, the, mm. the, life, the, mm. the adventure I read about on your website, um, and how that came to be. And um, some of your stories, stories from that, 
or you know that that could come about just naturally. <laughs> I, there, there are too so many. There's, to, there are too many to count. There's sure. one. There's one adventure that um, that most people want to know about when they when they find out about it, which is in the year 2003. I spent an entire year in an RV trailering a, a Porsche with my best friend going to every single sporting event we could get to. That that just sounds so fun. Like I <laughs> it was I'm so bummed that I'm I yeah. I feel like I kind of missed like I I didn't miss out. I had a great life and I loved yeah. the life that I had, but god, that sounds amazing. <laughs> hey, it's never too late. I think I was 34 or something like that when I when I started. But you that. had no kids. Correct. Were, were you married? Nope. Weren't married. Like I mean, there're just things right now that yeah. I wouldn't take a year away from the life that I have, you know? Like, yeah, but you know what? You're, you know, your kids are going to go off to, to college right. or, or leave the nest at some point, and right. uh, there's always an opportunity That's for true. an adventure. That's true. How did, how did that transpire? Did you fall into it? Did you make an intentional decision, like, I'm taking the year off and doing this? Did it start off as a month trip and it just extend? Like, how did that all come about? So I was with my best friend, and we were in Victoria Falls in Africa, um, after like three weeks of safari and, you know, we, uh, we just had one too many beers and he's a poker player too. And, uh, he turned to me and said, Hey Rafe, um, I've always wanted to do this crazy thing. Uh, what do you think? Do you, you want to do it? And I said, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we decided. And you flew back and started, um, I mean, did you have a life that you could just literally put on hold in that moment? Like, ha- what did you have to do to be yeah, prepared I mean, for I was, that? I was, uh, we'd actually been traveling, right? So we were in a travel mode. We both cashed out of startups okay. and we're kind of on walkabout in general in life. Got so, it, got it. Um, you know, it, we were in a position where we could do it mm-hmm. um, and we were in a mindset, more importantly, that we right, could do it. Right, right. Right. Because anybody could, in media cutting theory, could could do it they don't have to do it the same way we did it right right but um but yeah it's uh it's a lot less expensive to be in an rv than it is to you know have an apartment in san francisco or la did did you literally get get rid of any any physical um space requirements that you had did you have no address like what what are some of the mechanics Mm. of that like what how does that work to get a storage space or did you sell everything or yeah i think i put you know most of my stuff at my parents house uh Uh, might have had a storage unit uh got a p.o box it would you know forward stuff to us um to where where would it forward it to like how how question (laughs) i don't even remember because this is in our tax accountant this is in 2003 (laughs) yeah so it was, yeah, so it was after, I was thinking 93, which was before email and whatnot. So you still had communication. With- yeah, I mean, email, I, so we, you know, we, we, it was those early days of like uh, wireless internet yep. with the, yep. the, you know, the phones and, and whatnot, or those cards that go in your laptop. Oh, right. right. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, we had those. And so we, we could communicate like that and the cell phone and, yep. um, yeah, yeah, we actually did, we, 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 we did early form of blogging i guess we we mm. we kept records oh, cool. you know on, we, we wrote a story a little story for each day and major stories for major events and pictures and video and everything did you have a uh did you make a different sporting event every single day like how, how many events did you hit i, over I, the I think it was about 150 events in okay. 370 days so okay. every other day wow we did about i want to try like forty thousand miles <laughs> around crisscrossing the u.s and we went up into canada and 
were there key events you that were on your agenda? Like, did you go to the World Series? Did yeah. you go to the Super Bowl? Did you? Yeah. So we had a framework of what are the, what we call the majors, uh-huh. right? So we actually started in the Super Bowl in San Diego and ended in the Super Bowl in Houston. That that bookended the trip. Okay. And then you know we 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 knew we wanted to hit you know the World Series. Uh, we uh, in baseball we knew we wanted to hit the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, U.S. Open in golf mm-hmm. and in tennis, uh, you know, the, the majors and the, and the major sports. Yep, yep. Um, and so we had a framework of where we were going to be when. Did poker come into play? Did... We did. We played in the World Series of Poker. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You played in it? You, yes, in we the, played in it. In the yes. major? In the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. main event. Okay. Right? So we covered it, but we played in it. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, and then there are other things that we did besides just watching. Um, you know, we... We, we met um, the world champion at the time, Tanya Streeter, I think is her name, in free diving. Oh, wow. Where you hold your breath and go down. Yeah. And so she taught us the basic technique of free diving, which is wow. uh, uh, static apnea, holding your breath underwater for as long as you can. And, and, and attaching weights so that you descend faster? We, we didn't get to that level. <laughs> <laughs> we were in a pool. You're still alive? We were I in see. a pool. And, <laughs> But it's very scary, like just, yeah. yes, but, but learning the techniques of, of how to overcome the physiological reactions and the fear and yeah. all that kind of stuff that goes to your head is fascinating. How did that come about on the trip? Did you accidentally bump into her? or, did, or did, I think Phil, there... my friend, somehow knew her oh, okay. um, and, and she said, hey, come on down, I'll, I'll teach you. So we just, we were up for adventure, yeah. right? And so we said yes to a lot of things. What were some of the, was there anything that you recall that was completely unexpected or random that you could never have predicted that um, was a memorable occurrence for you of that year? Like something that so, just yeah. happened because you were in the right place at the right time with the right people? Well, I, I mean, it... Every single outcome of every single sporting event was unpredictable. Right. You know what I mean? And right. so, like, just being there for, uh, you know, I'm not a huge hockey fan, but, you know, watching the Stanley Cup finals in New Jersey when the, when the Devils won the Stanley Cup with, you know, with all of our friends who were diehard, lifelong fans. Right, um, right. Uh, that sort of thing. Did uh, you stay for, you were able to secure tickets, obviously, mm-hmm. which isn't so easy. Yeah, we we actually made deals with uh, the, uh, ticket brokers who were just coming online, online ticket brokers. Yep. We 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 wrapped the RV in our sponsors' logo. Oh, we got wow. a bunch of oh wow, you know, a bunch of bunch of free stuff yep. um, by, uh, and we did inter- a lot of radio interviews. Oh wow, so you made this a thing? This was a this was an a uh, we kind of did it just a thing. A, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't really, you know, think of it as a moneymaker, and it wasn't. Right, but right. it certainly helped defray the cost of yep. of our year, and it was fun and. So when you went to the Stanley Cup Finals, were you for every game, or you just went to the? How did you pick which game to yeah, attend? Yeah, because it was the Ducks, so it would have been hard. Ah, we couldn't, right. so we just did the home games in New Jersey. Okay, and then we happened to also be it, the the NBA Finals were also uh, it was the 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 Nets, the New, oh, New Jersey wow. Nets. So you happened to be in the right place. We happened to be in the right place, so we we, we got to do double duty because th- those are those are over almost overlapping events, right? They both take take place yeah. in June. Yeah, um, totally. So right. we would have had a tough choice, right? Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of things. I mean, everything. A lot, a lot of things are are, are 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 serendipitous, but I mean the the <laughs> I mean sports inherently is. Yep. Right. You don't know what's gonna happen. Right. Right. Um, 
I'll tell you, you know what? Let me, let me, uh, let me tell you one thing. So we, we decided really as, as an afterthought for this trip, because I think it was so self-indulgent. We, we wanted to do something, uh, you know, to give back. Mm-hmm. And so before the trip started, we agreed that we were going to pick a charity and raise money for them and mm-hmm. raise awareness. Mm-hmm. And neither of us had spent a lot of time in philanthropy or, you know, uh, really thinking beyond just the profit motive right. Um, right. in business. And we happened to pick a charity that, uh, you know, meant something to us. Uh, it was the Prevent Cancer Foundation. We had both lost loved ones to cancer, as everybody as we've found out. Right, right. Um, and we set that out as a goal to raise $100,000 in awareness for Prevent Cancer Foundation. And uh, and we did it over the course of the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the trip, uh, they, they, they asked us to join their board of directors. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that lasted seven years. And we... Wow. We were able to help raise many more, like millions of dollars after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for me, it was it was really it, it was it cracked the door open to another side of uh, capitalism, where we found out I found out firsthand that you can actually you can actually do well for yourself by doing good for others. Right. And I learned about this new idea of, of social entrepreneurship and impact investing where it's for profit, but it's for good. Right. And so, um, just learning about, you know, you don't have to choose between making an impact and, 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 and earning money. And so that really, really was the first time I'd experienced that firsthand. And I was not expecting that. That's cool. I'd say that's a good um, example of an unexpected mm. result from a trip like that. I was thinking about a trip that I took with a good buddy of mine when I got back from the uh, first Gulf War. Um, w- um, one of my, my best friend from college, we traveled up the West Coast and went golfing. To we went, we hit like seven or eight different golf courses. We happened to be in Monterey when the Game Seven of the World Series. Oh, not Game Seven. Whatever it was, it was the, it was the um, Bay Series between the Giants and the A's when the earthquake hit, and we happened to be in Monterey when the yeah. earthquake oh, hit. Wow. Um, on our way to go watch the game, and mm. you know, in the moment of that earthquake, we were high fiving each other. Uh, oh, we, we've done everything. We've even been in an earthquake. And we had no idea that right. it, you know we thought it was a little tremor. Yep. We had no idea what the the impact was because we still continued to driving down to watch the game. Um, so, uh, but those adventures are, are, uh, priceless, you know, in mm. the world of yeah. life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I think it's John Lennon. Uh, if, if I'm wrong, somebody will hopefully correct me. I'm sure but they will. The quote, uh, that I, I like and I use a lot is, uh, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Yeah. I, you're right. I use that quote a lot too. Yeah. 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 What, um, what is something that you struggle with? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> What's something that comes to mind that you struggle yeah. with, current or, you know, whatever? Yeah, uh, it's it, it's getting out of my head and, and, and remaining present. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think like a lot of people, um, but... Do you meditate? For, do you do anything to practice that? Yeah, I mean, I have various practices um, and, you know, I'd like to be more disciplined about it. I'd like to just remember to be present mm-hmm. more. Whenever I do, life is amazing. Right, and, right. And whenever I forget, uh, it's harder. Right. And, uh, and so, so yeah, that's the challenge. What are some of your practices that you do? Like, um, do you have a morning routine? Do you... Well, I'm um, not very disciplined. One of the things that, uh, you know, I, I struggle with is uh, staying in the lines, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I, right. You know, I, uh, you know, I like to test boundaries. Yep. Um, I don't like being controlled. Mm-hmm. I like controlling other people and right, other things right. and myself and everything. <laughs> so control issues. Does your um, wife, your wife, obviously your wife knows that. Yeah. I'm sure that leads to some interesting challenges. Sure. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I know from experience. Yeah. And being, and being a parent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Being a parent. Well, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that, that's a, an incredible mirror and, and, yeah. you know, wake up call. It's like, okay, well, I got all this stuff going on that, you know, at, no, at some level I know, mm-hmm. but being forced to, to reckon with it, right. uh, you're not right. going to argue with the child. Right. It's right. just, you, you do it, you know? So, um, so yeah, I just, you know, every day I, I, I try to, you know, I try to do better. So yeah. do you have a, any kind of a routine or is your, is your routine and not no routine? Like what do you, what is your life? What is it? Yeah. No. So, um, I probably in the, in the, in the most routinized uh, version of my life since, you know, I got out of, uh, got out of college, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, I, um, I get up, you know, around, uh, six thirty or seven, whenever the, the kids, uh, wake up and, yep. uh, take care of them for a little bit, then, uh, go into the office or if there's a meeting, um, but, you know, I'll work until, mm, Mid afternoon, mm-hmm. and 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 usually, and um, and then go back, um, you know, and, and hang out with my family and my kids, and try to go to bed early, um, and then, uh, you know, be with them on the weekends, and then also that all, that routine gets interrupted on a frequent basis. What are the kinds of things that you need to do to keep yourself sharp, to keep yourself physically fit, to keep yourself, you know, mentally? Yeah. Alert. Um, so, I mean, I love, I love playing, right? So playing beach volleyball, playing tennis or paddle tennis or skiing or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but these days I just don't find that I have the, the time to do those activities. So yeah. I've just been running. Hmm. Um, oh, cool. I used to, I used to not like running, but now I, I do. I found that if I run on my toes, mm-hmm. on the balls of my feet, it's sustainable. It, shit, I, right? I've been coaching people to do that for years and it's, that's it's the, the only way, way I could do it. Right. And then I also, you know, the, the reason why I enjoyed and I do, and I do enjoy the, the sports or the activities is that, you know, my mind would be engaged and I wouldn't have to think about the, the physiology, oh. the pain, whatever. Right. Right. Um, and so I, avo- by the way, I avoid, I'm a, I avoid pain and endurance sports for that reason. <laughs> I, I there is that, some in running, unless you're just jogging. You well, know, yeah, kind of going easy. Yeah, but, yeah, and and so, 
I guess um, I've come to appreciate the the meditative aspect yep. um, of uh, you know of running. I don't. I st- I'm not a masochist. I say right. you know, a lot of friends who do as you do. I think uh, all these what I call masochistic sports. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I I'm definitely more masochistic that yeah. way for sure. Um, I like it when it's hard. Like yeah. it hard. Keeps what do you me, like about it? It it keeps me in the moment. Mm. It keeps me, you know, like kind of your description of remembering how important it is to be in the moment. Yeah. When I'm engaged in something that's that difficult, I have to be in the moment. Yeah. You know, if I'm on a hard mountain bike ride, I, I, I can't think about anything else, you know, like, cause I will, the consequences are grave. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, what happens, what happens in your experience if, I mean, let's say you're not, not in a grave situation, but it's yeah, just, yeah. you know, and, and it's not, you're, you're not all out or it's not hard enough. What, what happens that, that, you, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I use the times that it's not hard enough as kind of, um, almost like what you do, like a meditative or like a warm up. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'll trick myself into working out cause I, you know, I'm like anybody else. People look at me and go, ah, you, it's easy for you. You just work out every day all the time. And getting started is hard for me. I I don't gravitate easily to putting my clothes on and, you know, it's always, uh, do I have time for this? Can I really take this break right now and do this? Uh, Um, and a lot of times, Oh, I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I'm, I'm sore from a workout. And so a lot of times I'll, 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 you know, it's funny that I know this and it still works. Um, I'll trick myself into saying, you know, I just, just going to warm up. Just going to go easy. <laughs> You're just going to have fun. This is just about fun. You're going to run, you know, and I'll, I'll start off like in the mornings. Typically I run, I go up for like 10 minutes just yeah. to get, kind of get my brain clear. Yeah. And a lot of times I start that runoff and just, I'm, I'm almost at walking pace. Yeah. You know, I'm 15 minute miles or 12 minute miles. Yeah. And by the time it's over, usually it's a, it's about a mile. And, uh, by the time it's over, it's, uh, I'm down at, you know, seven minute pace or seven thirty pace. And I'm feeling great. Yeah. You know, and I, and, it, and it wasn't work. It wasn't hard right. to get to that. It just kind of more fun for me. Um, yeah. I don't know if I answered your no, question. No, yeah, it was great. I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. You kind of so you're yourself. giving yourself permission yeah. to, Hey, if it's just a light warm up, then that's all it is. Right. But then I, I get it. Like when you, once you're there and in the moment, it, okay. cha- it changes. It changes. Yeah. Your feeling about it changes and yeah. your desire changes. So. I've set some personal records, you know, in the world of CrossFit, um, you know, we track everything. We write everything down and measure everything. I've set some personal records and workouts in, in starting that way, like starting off like, I don't feel like it. This is just, you know, whatever. I'm just going to go have a good time. I remember one specific situation. I was visiting a buddy in um, Scottsdale and I went to their gym, uh, Luke Kayyem. And I went to his gym um, um, and there's a workout. Uh, are you, have you done any CrossFit? Do you know much I, about? I, I've watched it on TV. Does okay. that count? That doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched some poker on TV. Does that count as me playing? <laughs> um, uh, and by the way, what you see on TV is not what the normal person does for CrossFit. Those right. guys are so yeah. over the top capable. Yeah. Um, but there's a workout called Jackie. We, there's a bunch of named workouts mm. in the CrossFit world. And one of the fun things about CrossFit is there's these, there's this nomenclature kind of like in the world of poker, sure. the, all these names of the games that are yeah. what, what? Um, that we share that we, you know, and there's a workout called Jackie 
And uh, uh, Coach Glassman used to name the first like 15 or 20 named workouts were all uh, female names, kind of like the way they name hurricanes. Mm. And he used that approach because they left you. They didn't look like much to begin with. And then they come in and just rock your world. You yeah, know, you're, and like leave you. you're like a hurricane. <laughs> um, so this workout was called Jackie. It was a thousand meter row followed by um, 50 thrusters, which is you do a squat with a 45 pound bar mm. and then you stand up from the squat and take the bar up overhead. It's, it's a, all those combined at the same time is called a thruster. I'm already getting nauseous. You do 50 of just, those. Just thinking about this. <laughs> you do 50 of those and then you do 30 pull-ups. Wow. And one, one time, just go through it once and right. you know, finish as quickly as you can. Take as many breaks as you need to. I see. And um, uh, that's the style of a lot of CrossFit workouts. And I went in and I was, I, I don't think I was wearing jeans, but it was close to that. Like I, w- I went in, I wasn't planning on working out, wasn't feeling great. And I, in fact, I even, you know, he said three, two, one, go. And there were like six or seven other people doing it. And I wasn't even ready. And I sat down on the rower about three seconds late and I started going. And I, I broke, there was a, there was a six minute mark that I had never broken before um, that uh, somehow I maybe because I was so relaxed going into it and I went through the row really, mm. really easily. And then I had more energy for the I did 50, uh. 50 straight thrusters and then uh, 30 straight pull ups. And maybe that I don't know, but I beat six minutes for the first time. And um, that was a big. That wow, was a, that was a cool thing. Like it was like I wasn't. It was freaky. It was very freaky. That's uh, that's really really powerful and fascinating because I, I think like you know thinking back to the, you know my own struggle with what I call the masochistic mm-hmm. activities and sports. You know, I, I would just like go all out, and I would literally make myself sick, right? And then just right. avoid. It's like, how can you do this? But right. I think something you said. Well, first of all, you said, okay, well, relax. Don't put so much pressure on it. Yep. Just kind of be in the moment. Yep. And then you also said something, which is like, light bulb went off. Take as much time as you need to complete the workout. Right. Right. As opposed to you have to get it done and, you know, as, as yep. you know, like your hair's on fire. Right. And it's because I was thinking, okay, so 30 pull-ups, well... I can't do 30 pull-ups, you know, but well, I might, I might be able to do 30 pull-ups if I took enough time. Sure. Right. Right. And so do I don't have to make myself time. sick. I just to... do it. Right? right. You know, it takes me like three hours. I could get the workout done. Absolutely. Right. And you get credit, for, you get credit for it. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it's, uh, oh. um, maybe I'll try CrossFit for the first time. <laughs> yeah. I've been avoiding it like the plague. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, a lot of it depends on the, if you try CrossFit and I'm, this is not a push for you to try CrossFit or anybody to really to try yeah. CrossFit. But if you, if you do it, you know, the environment you do it in really matters. Yeah. You know, the, the mindset of the coach, the mindset of the people, if you take a class, mm. if you do it on your own, you can do it any way you want. Yeah. But, um, you know, it really ha- helps to have a community that is, um, supportive of, it is not just there to compete. Yeah. And cause, cause it just, uh, you know, I perform usually the worst when I feel the pressure mm. of the competition yeah. and I do the best when it's just, I'm just there having, in fact, I qualified in 2009, I qualified for the CrossFit games. Um, 
just because I went down to see just kind of to see where I was in the mm. world of the re there was the first time they ever had a qualifying event mm -hmm. for the games and I went down I wonder I didn't train I just mm. was doing what I was ordinarily doing and I happened to get in the top three of the of the regional and I went to the games and then I collapsed I mean then the, as soon as I was officially good yeah I I, pressure, I yeah, you know like I, I, di I didn't I, I didn't um didn't handle that so well you know like it, it became not fun for me mm. it became a something i had to do yeah. something i had to train for and um um i think probably if i had been able to maintain that fun approach i would have done better mm -hmm. like I, I wouldn't have like i started doing two a days two a day workouts mm. i was riding my bike everywhere i was god i gotta get more work done i gotta you know like it was became obsessive and I only had like two months to, to get ready for this. So yeah. it, it didn't really matter probably that much. It didn't have that big of an impact. And yet, so for it messed up your mind, <laughs> totally messed up my mind, totally yeah. messed up my mind. Um, well, that's a pretty powerful so, lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Just make it fun. Just make it, you know, have a good time. Yeah. Stay in the moment. Um, I want to ask you one more question. Um, how are we doing on time? Are you good, good with time? Like, we probably yeah. should wrap soon because we've been about an hour and a half so far. Yeah. So, um, and I, and I'd like to. Uh, this isn't any big profound question. It's just it's it's about reading and about books mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I've heard this question asked a lot of ways. Like, what book have you get? Tim Ferriss likes to ask, "What book have you gifted the most?" Um, what what are the books, book or books that? that you would say have had the biggest profoundest impact in your, in your experience in your life. And one that you would, you would, you might say would be valuable for someone else to pick up. What's coming up right now, because I have a lot of, it could change. Yeah. It might changed, change yeah. tomorrow if I yeah. asked you that. What, yeah. what, come, what, what, what came up right now when you asked the question is, uh, it's the black swan by oh, yeah. Nassim Taleb. Yep. Just about the fundamental unpredictability of life. Right. Right. I recommend it to anybody. Cool. Rafe, thank you. Thanks thank you. for spending this time. This has really been, um, I've learned quite a bit. As uh, did I. <laughs> it's absolutely. Uh, I may see you at the next uh, Palisades 10K 4th of July run. And right? I might see you at the World Series of Poker. <laughs> <laughs> that would be shocking. <laughs> Is that where is that where running and a, a Palisades 10K sits with you in relation to <laughs> like that would be the World Series of Poker for you? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you've you've been to the you've been out for the Fourth of July events here. In, I mean, Palisades. I love watching the running. <laughs> <laughs> I never watched the running. That is hilarious. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am running. I'm watching the running from the spectator of a runner <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah thanks again it's been really really fun and um, hope to do it again sometime my pleasure happy to yeah. the whole life challenge podcast is produced by our podcast team Ernie Hurtado Becca Borowski and Cameron Banfield you can find all our episodes as well as the links to anything we talked about during the episode plus complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash blog. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And if you like it, please remember to give us a favorable rating in iTunes and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>